the members of Back Creek to, to pray uh, for the, the vow that you made to come to fruition, that as you partner with the parents uh, of, raising, of these children and raising them in the training and admonition of the Lord, that the Lord uh, would bring to fruition his promise and that they would come to know him and that the Lord would use kids' worship and the message to accomplish his purpose uh, in their lives. We're going to be in Psalm 126 this morning. Uh, Psalm 126, our series is Pilgrim Songs. And as uh, the songs of ascent served the Israelites on their pilgrimages to Jerusalem, so they serve us and help us in our pilgrimage through this life. We are going to God, and these psalms help to direct our eyes to the Lord. The Lord is the goal and the destination of our journey. The Lord is our greatest need and help in the journey, and the Lord is the one who is with us all the way. And these psalms remind us to call on the Lord, to call to the Lord, because he is our help. and He is merciful. He is on our side. And these psalms remind us to to gather uh, with God's people and with gladness to worship him for it and daily to trust him in it. And Psalm 126 specifically references a particular point in the history of of Israel. And it's the return from exile. So the Lord had sent judgment on his people due to their empty religiosity and their promiscuous idolatry and their pervasive immorality and their civil injustice. So the kingdom of Israel was divided and you had 10 tribes in uh, the north and that was called Israel and two tribes in the south and that was called Judah. And the northern kingdom was conquered by the kingdom of Assyria, and it was exiled, never to be reconstituted after 720 B.C. The southern kingdom was conquered by Babylon and exiled in 586 B.C. But according to prophecies that the Lord had given to Isaiah and to Jeremiah and to Amos, the Lord moved in the heart of the king of Persia, who by that time had conquered the Babylonians, and he was moved by the Lord to, to let the Israelites go home, to let them return to and rebuild Jerusalem, and even to fund some of their rebuilding. The first verse of the psalm reads, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. It reads that way in our translation that we use the English Standard Version, but it could be just as accurately translated as it is in the New American Standard and in the New King James when the Lord brought back the captives to Zion. The return from exile was a return from captivity, and it was a restoration of the fortunes of God's people, all flowing from the faithfulness of the Lord. And the Lord's faithfulness is the theme of Psalm 126. So if you're able, please stand in honor of God's word. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, 
shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's thank the Lord for his word. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you uh, for the songs. We thank you for the songs of ascent. And we thank you for the way that they direct our eyes away from ourselves and from our circumstances and direct our eyes to you, the faithful one, the one who hears us when we call in our distress, the one who provides for us and protects us and gives us peace, the one who loves us. Lord, I pray this morning that you would again, with your word, take our eyes and direct them to you. Direct them to the Lord Jesus and his cross and his tomb and his throne. And Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us your glory in a way uh, that would make it so we cannot leave uh, this place the same people as when we came in. But that we would be transformed by your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All my life, uh, I have sung the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And I sung it, sang it so many times in, in my early life that I don't ever remember memorizing it. I've just always known uh, the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And even though I was familiar with the words of this hymn and knew them from my earliest age, there was always one word, maybe it was more of a, a phrase, there was one line in the hymn and I didn't really know what it meant. The second verse of Come Thou Fount starts uh, this way. Here I raise my Ebenezer. The only Ebenezer that I was familiar with was uh, from a Christmas carol, Ebenezer Scrooge. And I was pretty sure that it wasn't about him. But I didn't know what it meant, so I just kept singing in my ignorance. Here I raise my Ebenezer. And by the way, this is an example of, of what not to do. If we are teaching or preaching or reading or explaining or singing or doing anything in church that you don't understand, please ask. Kids and students, ask your parents. And if they don't know, they'll refer you to someone who does. Adults, please ask your community group leader or one of your elders or ask one of the pastors if you have a question. In this faith family, we need to make it so that there are no dumb or useless questions. If you don't know, ask and do not be afraid. But one day I, I heard a pastor explain where this word and concept Ebenezer came from. And it came from another time in Israel's history. It was almost a thousand years before Jesus came into the world. And uh, the people of Israel had been under judgment. They had lost the ark, and then the Lord delivered it back to them. But they still weren't repentant. And the prophet Samuel labored for 20 years, calling the people of Israel to repent and to turn back to the Lord. And finally, after a two-decade ministry, they were sufficiently humbled to do so. And so he, he gathered the people in one place. And when they did, at Mizpah, their enemies who had been plaguing them, the Philistines, heard that all of the people of Israel were gathered at Mizpah. And so they planned to attack at once. And when the people of Israel heard that the Philistines were going to march on them, they, they pled with Samuel. They said, please pray for us that the Lord will deliver us. And so uh, Samuel prayed for the people of Israel, and he sacrificed a lamb. And the Lord heard Samuel's prayer. And he threw the Philistine armies into confusion, and Israel won the day. And in 1 Samuel 7, verse 12, 
It says, Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, till now, the Lord has helped us. Ebenezer is made from two Hebrew words. The first one is Eben, which means stone. And the second one is Ezer, which means help. It literally means stone of help. Samuel raised his Ebenezer to remind the people of God how he was faithful even when they had been unfaithful. And that it was the Lord who had restored their fortunes. He wanted to put up a memorial so that when people saw it, their eyes would be directed to the Lord from generation to generation, that they might say something like, hither by thine help I am come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. This psalm reminds pilgrims on the way to worship God and us on our way through this life to the Lord of God's faithfulness in the past, in the present, and in the future. This psalm teaches us that because the Lord has done great things for us, first, we have the experience of his past faithfulness. Because the Lord has done great things for us, we have the experience of God's past faithfulness. We see that in verses 1 and 2. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Christian, has the Lord done great things for you? I know we're Presbyterian, y'all, but has the Lord done great things for you? Amen. He has. Can you think back to a time in your past? whether you were a believer or yet an unbeliever, when the Lord provided for you. When the Lord made a way where there seemed to be no way, where he met a a, a financial or material need, where he met an emotional or a spiritual need, where he provided something like a spouse or, or something like a friend that totally changed your life. How has God provided for you? Has he done great things for you? Can you remember a time in your past? And if you're able to remember when you were an unbeliever, I would recommend thinking back, can you think of a time where God protected you? Where God protected you from the logical consequence of your sin? Where God protected you from temptation? Where God protected you from harm? Can you remember a time where God gave you peace? And you know that it was from the Lord because your circumstances weren't peaceful and you received a a supernatural peace in decision making or facing adversity or facing hurt. Have you ever been able to look at what God has done for you and feel like this is so unexplainable and so good that it's, it's like a dream? Great is thy faithfulness is a hymn that Shannon and I had sung congregationally uh, in our wedding, and we did so in part because we wanted to recognize God's good provision in providing us to each other. And the first verse of Great is Thy Faithfulness uh, speaks of God's character. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions. They fail not as thou hast been. Thou forever wilt be. 
the psalmist locates faithfulness in God's character. It, it wasn't that the Israelites finally got things right, but that the Lord is the one who in his faithfulness restored their fortunes and returned the captives. The second verse of Great is Thy Faithfulness talks about the display of God's faithfulness in nature. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars and their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. And we have all experienced that. But verse 3 speaks of our personal experience, our personal experience of God's faithfulness and our salvation. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. And we say, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. These things... Forgiveness, reconciliation, peace, God's presence, strength, hope, new morning mercies, all that we have needed spiritually, emotionally, physically, all that we have needed up till now. These are evidence of our experience of the Lord's past faithfulness in our lives. Our response, great is thy faithfulness. Just ask you. As one who can surely say, the Lord has done great things for me. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Do you testify with your laughter? Do you testify with your words? Do you testify with your joy to the faithfulness of God? Do our neighbors look at us and say, the Lord has done great things for them? The Gentile nations all around looked at the miraculous return from exile and they saw the joy of God's people. And there really wasn't any explanation but that their God, Yahweh, had restored their fortunes. If our neighbors look into our lives and see God's faithfulness to us and say the Lord has done great things for them. But of course that was the past. When the Lord restored the fortune of Israel. Now the psalmist fast forwards to the present. And once again the people of God are under duress. And here we see that because the Lord has done great things for us. We have the encouragement of present faithfulness. We have the experience of past faithfulness. And we have the encouragement of present faithfulness. We see that in verses 3 and 4. The Lord has done great things for us. Past. We are glad, present. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. The current condition of God's people was not good. But the character of the Lord is unchanged. The Lord is faithful regardless of our circumstances. And you can have present encouragement and gladness as you remember the past faithfulness of God. The Lord has done great things for us and find hope in the present faithfulness of God. God is faithful. He will do good to his people. 
He can be trusted, which is why the psalmist moves from we are glad to prayer. The past and present faithfulness of God leads the psalmist to pray for the faithfulness of God in the presence. He expresses gladness for God's past faithfulness and asks the Lord to demonstrate it again. He says, like streams in the Negev. Now, the Negev is a dry desert where rain is very rare. Uh, But commentators say that in the Negev, uh, particularly at this time, that there were uh, streams of the past had left gullies uh, in the sand. And so that when the rain did come, these gullies would fill up to overflowing and become rushing streams. And one commentator said this idea represents the sudden unleashing of God's blessing for which the psalmist prays out of the present encouragement. That God is good and that God is able. Brothers and sisters, if today we are in Christ, we have the experience of God's faithfulness in the past. Because he made a way where there was no way. We were sinners. We had rebelled against the Lord. We were under his just condemnation for all of the ways that we went our own way and rejected him. And yet in love he pursued us. In mercy and grace, the Lord Jesus Christ came for us, and he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He lived a life of perfect righteousness before the Father so that we could receive a record of righteousness in place of our record of guilt and shame. He endured the cross, despising its shame. He endured the full weight of God's justice against our sin. He took the penalty that we deserve so that The Apostle Paul could say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And in victory, he rose again from the dead. He has defeated all of his enemies and ours once and forever. It's only a matter of time until all of the power and presence of sin are banished from the new heaven and the new earth. And we await the Lord in his coming. This is what God has done for us in the past. And when Christ had accomplished our redemption, he ascended to the Father's right hand, where he still intercedes for us. But he also said, it is better for you that I am going away, because I will send you another helper. And he has poured out the Holy Spirit into our hearts. And the Holy Spirit's job is to every day testify to our spirits that because of what Christ did in the past, we are the children of God, and to give us constant reminders of God's present faithfulness. You have the Holy Spirit of God living in you if you are in Christ. And there is no greater expression of God's present faithfulness to you than that he is with you always, even to the very end of the age. Are you in a season where God's provision and protection and peace have you laughing and shouting for joy? And you're saying, if this is a dream, I don't want to wake up. And your neighbors are saying, the Lord has done great things for them. Or are you in a season of longing? Like being in a dry and weary desert where there is no water. Where you are asking the Lord to restore your fortunes. Some of you have been at Back Creek Church through seasons like the former and seasons like the latter. 
and what we can say today, this, is, this year, 2022, is the 220th anniversary of Back Creek Church, even as it is the 10th anniversary of Pastor Mansu. And what we can all say together is that the Lord is faithful. When things are good, the Lord is faithful. When things are bad, the Lord is faithful. However, wherever, whatever, the Lord is faithful, and we are glad. Because the Lord has done great things for us, we have the experience of his past faithfulness. We have the encouragement of his present faithfulness. And lastly, we have the expectation of his future faithfulness. We have the expectation of God's future faithfulness. We see that in verses 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This agricultural metaphor helps us understand the seasons of the Christian life. The farmer invests what he has in seeds. He has no promise that the seeds are good. He has no promise of what the weather is going to be like. He has no promises concerning what the future holds. He sows in tears, in hopes that there will be an abundant harvest at which he can rejoice. Jesus, um, speaking of his own life and ministry and death and resurrection, says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In these seasons of our lives that feel like a a kind of death, where we are sowing in tears, we can have the expectation of God's future faithfulness. The psalmist says in another place, weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. God has been faithful. God is faithful. And God will be faithful. The question is, how do we respond to God's faithfulness by sowing faithfully? How do we respond to the Lord's faithfulness by sowing faithfully? And commentator Thomas Adams uh, really helped me this week kind of put legs to how do we sow faithfully as we trust in the Lord's past, present, and future faithfulness. He says we sow in faith. And this is sowing in tears because faith is hard. We want to walk by sight. We want to know the answers. We want to know what decisions to make. We want to have clarity and peace every step of the way. And the Lord says to us, Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord, the things I have revealed to you and to your children. The Lord has not given us every answer. He's given us the answers we need, not necessarily the answers that we want. And he demands and he invites us to trust. Trust in the Lord's faithfulness even when we cannot see it. This is sowing in tears and we will reap in joy. Adam says we need to sow in obedience. 
And obedience is hard because obedience always comes with a cost. It often comes with a reward, but that reward is often not immediate. And obedience always comes with a cost. We sow in tears because obedience requires that we reject, that we turn away from our natural inclinations. Our natural inclinations are always for self and for the flesh and for sin. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We sow in tears because we sow in obedience. Adam says we sow in repentance. Sowing in repentance is hard, and it's a sowing in tears because repentance requires that we face our sin, that we look inside of ourselves. We look to our external actions. We look to our internal motivations that we face our sin, that we name our sin, that we grieve over our sin, that we learn to hate our sin and to look away from our sin and to look away from ourselves and look to Christ. And of course, with repentance, there is sowing in tears, but there will be a harvest of a righteousness and joy. And lastly, Adam says, we sow in love. It is when we love that we are most like the Lord. That's why he says that the two great commandments in the law are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second great commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's why Jesus said a new commandment I give you on the night before the cross that you love one another as I have loved you. And love is sowing in tears because love is also always costly. Now, my daughters Ella and Noah Kate were in the musical Frozen this weekend. Uh, and they did a great job, and I'm very proud of them. But in, in the musical Frozen, uh, there's a sentient snowman. I can explain it to you later if you want. Uh, but his name is Olaf. And at one point, he defines love. He says this, love is putting someone else's needs before yours. Of course, there's a a greater definition that Jesus gives, but it's similar. Jesus, on the night before the cross, says, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And the next day, the Lord Jesus went to the cross, and he laid down his life for those he no longer called servants. He called them friends those who believe on his name. We sow in love, loving the Lord with all that we are, accounting on his past, present, and future faithfulness, and loving one another, loving our neighbors, and loving with the gospel. Brothers and sisters, if we are to serve someone else's most profound needs before our own, if we are to lay down our lives for other people, then we must do so with the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ on our lips. I want to challenge you that the Lord has done great things for you. Your co-workers, family members, your friends, your neighbors should be saying, the Lord has done great things for them and they have told me about it. As those loved by God, who have experienced his faithfulness in the past, are encouraged by his faithfulness in the present, and who expect his faithfulness in the future, 
We can know and trust that as we sow in obedience and faith and repentance and love, by his grace, we can know that the Lord will do great things for us. And that we will reap with shouts of joy and bring home the harvests that the Lord has prepared for us. Past, present, and future. The Lord is good. And he has done great things for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the faithfulness of the Lord so evident in your cross. Thank you for salvation in your name. We thank you for your command that we love you, the Lord our God, that we love our neighbors, that we love one another. And Lord, we pray that as we think back on your faithfulness in the past, Lord, as we are encouraged by your present faithfulness. And Lord, I pray that you would today help us to take inventory of your present faithfulness, that we are indeed this morning breathing, that we are gathered with your people in your presence. Lord, these are evidence of your present faithfulness and grace to us. And Lord, we expect your future faithfulness. We know, Lord, that you are working all things together for good for those who love you and are calling, called according to your purpose. We know that you are making all things new. We know, Lord Jesus, that you will return and that you will inaugurate a new heaven and a new earth. That you will consummate your kingdom and that we will have an eternity of joy with you. We cannot wait. And we pray, come, Lord Jesus. And in the meantime, let us be a people who constantly testify. The Lord has done great things for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together and respond to God's word once more in song.